Welcome to Pridescape, the official podcast of Pride Northwest, home of the annual Portland Pride Waterfront Festival and Parade, and much more. Each month, we will be bringing you the latest Pride Northwest updates and important news and information affecting Oregon and Southwest Washington's LGBTQ community. To learn more about Pride Northwest, visit our website at pridenw.org. And now your host and executive director of Pride Northwest, Deborah Porta. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this installment of Pridescape, Pride Northwest's official podcast. Back in 2019, in what we kindly refer to as the before times, Pride Northwest launched Pride Days of Service. This monthly effort was designed to combine putting pride into action through direct service in our community with the amazing heart of our volunteers who were looking for ways to engage with Pride Northwest through the year. Pride Days of Service obviously went on hiatus in direct form anyway, during the height of the pandemic. However, we are now excited, we're super excited to be relaunching Pride Days of Service. And today I'm joined by Tony Camacho Martinez, he, him, his, program director for PEAR, our October partner. Tony identifies as Latino, Puerto Rican, and queer. Welcome, Tony. Hey, thanks for having me. Hi, Don. Thanks for joining us. Uh, well, let's um, let's start with uh, the important basics. Uh, what is PEAR? What's your mission? Uh, and maybe a little bit about the founding story, if you if you would. Sure. Yeah, I should preface by saying that I talk pretty circularly, so there's, okay. there's that. Um, but we're we're a small nonprofit based in in Portland, Oregon. Um, we have two locations, but our main location is in Old Town, so downtown Portland, and we work with homeless youth. And so basically what the main thing that we really try and do is establish really deep and intentional relationships with youth and building community um, while creatively mentoring them. And we do that through education. We do that through art, recreation, uh, as well as pair works, which is our job training workforce development programs that we offer. Um, so organizationally, we started in 2002. Uh, we're founded by three, three amazing women. So Beth Burns, our executive director, Pippa Aaron, our development director, and, and also Joy Cartier, who is our other founder and our very first program director as well. Um, and so the premise of them starting an organization is they were really invested in working with young people in a way that was solely based through relationships and through inspiration. And the reason for that um, is because through, through community, um, as an organization, we believe that we're able to help young people kind of find themselves in a different way. Um, that's based out of connectivity, that's based out of curiosity, that's based out of experiences, culture, community. Um, and hope. Um, and then through those avenues, the, the hope is that then they're able to find themselves out of homelessness. And so we were founded in 2002. Mm -hmm. And originally, we're, we're in a building that was located over off Alder in Southwest Portland, mm -hmm. um, and have been in our current location, which is located on Northwest 6 in Flanders, two blocks south from Union Station since 2006. And as of summer of 2021, we became the owners of our building. Oh, very nice. Right on, yeah. right on. Yeah. And so that's a little bit about who we are. That's what we do. 
would you like me to speak a little bit more about like the programs that we offer and that kind of stuff or yeah that's I, that's my next question is oh, a little bit of specifics so that basically when if uh if a youth comes to pair what 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 will they expect to find basically sure um well our hope is the first thing that they expect to find is community and a place to kind of find themselves mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. And a place to find connection with each other. When we say community, we we are talking about staff. We're also talking about our volunteers. We're also talking about our community partners. We're also talking about our board members, um, donors, um, people who want to support us and support the folks in which we work with. Love that. And so, first and foremost, that's what we hope. Um, and then through that they they should expect to be offered food they can also they can expect to engage in different kinds of workshops activities outings um that all fall under the guise of education art and recreation mm -hmm. um which also includes meeting professionals from various industries who find themselves within the doors of Portland or within the doors of Pear as well, who are also engaging in wanting to build community in a very similar way as we do. They have access to food. Um, they have access to clothing here if that's what they need. We have medical supplies, toiletries, hygiene products, um, as well as art supplies, as well as some recreational supplies as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that they should also expect to kind of explore themselves with curiosity and maybe challenge themselves to try new things, whether that is entering into a new form of art, whether that's music or painting or photography or ceramics um, or singing or dancing, whatever it is, or or maybe they find themselves taking part in in like a, a new skateboarding club. Uh -huh. yeah. um, or a cooking club that we have mm -hmm. established or going on a hike or going kayaking or maybe rock climbing for the first time. And our hope throughout any of that is, is that they not only maybe explore different parts of, of themselves, but they do so in a way that's based out of relationship and encouragement mm -hmm. and love, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, pair is is really interesting because we often talk about how, you know, we're a place where we just try things on and we don't always get it right. Uh, and that's okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, because then that offers a new foundation to move from, that offers a different place to ask questions and to learn and grow from. Um, we do that and try and model that as people who work here. I've personally seen that happen with folks in our community, namely a lot of our volunteers and outside community partners will will also explore themselves in new ways. And it's it's kind of wonderful to be able to do that alongside the youth we work with. Yeah. You know, we we strongly believe in that we're not here to save anybody. We're here to be in community with people. Um, and, and where that comes from is because the folks that we work with are brilliant. Um, they're creative, they're resourceful, mm -hmm. they're so funny, they're really honest, they know themselves, and they're, and many of them are also really curious about who they can be. And, and our hope as an establishment is to maybe offer opportunities for them to do that more. And then through that, there's avenues out of homelessness. Right, right. Personal hope is that, is that in those avenues, it offers sustainability outside of homelessness. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, nice. Yeah. 
thanks for that. Yeah. Um, you've kind of, my next question, you've kind of, you've kind of gone into it a little bit, um, at least in my mind. You know, as you know, there are a number of, of unhoused youth serving organizations in town. And to me, PAIR as an organization has always felt unique in some way, like not, not step something. I'm not even sure what the right language is. What do you think sets PAIR apart from other services that unhoused youth can access? Yeah, <laughs> this is a fun question. Um, I mean, namely, we, you know, we don't operate as a shelter and, and that is one thing that that I think is different from us and 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 uh, some of the other services is we don't offer that. What we offer, which isn't unlike other organizations, is we offer community. But I think what what sets us apart is uh, many of our relationships run incredibly deep. There there are folks that have been in our community since they were themselves were 16 and are well in their 30s and still come through the door on a fairly regular basis. Oh, well, mm -hmm. we operate from a place where the the care goes beyond the walls mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. here, you know, like an example that I'll use is yesterday, one of the folks in our community came and I've, I've had a, a friendship with them for about four years now, going on four years. He's 26, almost 27 now. And I haven't seen him gosh, yesterday we were realizing that I haven't seen him in about a year and a half. Um, but the reason I haven't seen him is because he's been working. <laughs> he's been, he's been working and, um, and live, doesn't live in Portland. He lives kind of in the outskirts now and he's doing really well, but he came back because he realized that he hasn't seen me in a little while and he wanted to reconnect and he wanted to catch up and he wanted to touch base and tell me about his life. And, um, catch me up on how his dog is doing, who I know is really important to him and his job and where he's at medically and where he's at in his recovery right now. And he just wanted to catch up and it wasn't coming from a, from a place of need. He didn't need anything right. um, in terms of like assistance with rent or anything like that. He just missed me. And likewise, right? And And just for me personally, I think that that mentality, which is, it feels pretty esoteric, but it's also so thoroughly embedded in who we are as an organization is I think what makes us somewhat different is we have people who know that they belong here. Uh, one of the things that I kind of joke around about with some of the some of the folks, I just said this an hour ago to one of them. So I was like, hey, you're kind of stuck with us once you enter here. You know, you turn 25, sure. And I'm still expecting for you to let me know how you're doing after that. I'm still expecting for you to drop by when you can. You still have my number and I'm fully expecting for you to use it, um, especially if you need it. And that feels a little bit different. Um, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, what you're describing to me is very, and you said it, it's very relational as opposed to transactional. Mm. Um, and I mean, that community piece, I think, is what, in my mind, is is so different. Because you know, mm. I see I see a couple of models in the in the adult world that mm -hmm. that remind me of this, but so different from from the service model, you know, mm -hmm. that's very transactional. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that that doesn't exist, right? You sure. Know? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Of course, some of the things that we offer is like, if somebody needs a new ID, of course, I'm going to help them with that. 
Um, you know, we help set kids up with food handlers cards and we set them up getting their new birth certificates and we can connect them to different housing resources and get them engaged with shelters and get them into those kinds of things. We can connect them with jobs. I've written numbers of letters of recommendation for schools and jobs and et cetera. And the conversation is it's through mentoring. It's, and we're going to have a real conversation around what it is that you need and what you need to learn within yourself in order to make it through school, in order to retain your job, in order to learn how to communicate with the landlord, right? And it's, it's yeah. not coming from a place of me needing to check any boxes or read a report. It's coming from a place of me actually really wanting to know what their experience is like, because I want them to be sustainable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Makes a lot of sense. So over the um, over the course of the pandemic, uh, and actually even before that, Pride Northwest has become more and more involved with responding to uh, food and housing insecurity. Yeah. Um, mostly as regards adults, grownups. What? Try and I've thought about how best to ask this question. What needs are you all identifying working with youth these days? Is anything different than? from before the pandemic is, is it the same? What are you, what are, what are our young folks needing? Mm -hmm. What's their experiences look like? Yeah, I mean, things are very different. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, it, it, I think there is a lot of truth in that, like the physical location of downtown is very different. Mm -hmm. The community down here is certainly different. I think from what we've seen with youth is there's, there's a couple of different ways in which I can answer this. I, I, what, I, what I've been seeing is there's a lot of really amazing mutual aid groups that are going out and doing the work, right? Yeah. Um, in wonderful ways. Um, one, one of the mutual aid groups that I, I just have a personal relationship with, their name is Stroll, and, and they, in a very similar way, are intentional about building relationships with the people out in the community that they're serving, right? Mm -hmm. um, some of what we did throughout the pandemic is we did outreach, right? There was a period like so many other organizations and businesses where we weren't able to be open for a little bit, right? Yeah. And so instead, um, we pivoted and um, with the help of one of our volunteers who was also a contractor helped kind of refab our van that we typically use for a wilderness recreation trip and mm -hmm. it so that we had the back of it was for outreach and so we had uh, a whole system that was put in place that we could put into the back of the van that had shelving units where we can put food and clothing and art supplies and gotcha. all kinds of stuff and then we drove we went to all the different camps right and in part to try and find our people and and also it allowed for us to really get a sense as to what it what their experience was um what they needed obviously many of them need need homes but i think even furthermore some of what we're hearing is beyond housing it seems like they're needing support that goes beyond vouchers they need support to know how to retain their home they need support to know how to live right um mm -hmm. i just had a conversation with a person a couple of weeks ago who got a housing voucher and, you know, in full honesty, they're kind of struggling for a couple of different reasons. They're struggling because there's a spotlight on them from the property management company. And so they, they 
they feel like they can't fully exist or live in their apartment because they know that they're being watched at all times, right? This is a person who already struggles with anxiety. This is a person who already struggled with other, like, you know, who's trying to work through other mental health issues through the resources in which they know. And also people don't know what they don't know, right? And for some of these people, including this person, this is the first time that they've actually been indoors which also means leaving their community, their community being the people in which they were cam camping out with, right? right. Um, which means being in isolation, um, which means maybe not feeling as protected as they did. It means maybe not feeling like they have as many people to connect with as maybe they did, which means not feeling as comfortable as perhaps they did, right? So you put all of that together, of course, it makes sense that somebody might struggle even though they're in housing, right? Yeah. And part of what I'm hearing is, but what's available for them at that point? That's a big, that's a big conversation in our world as well. We, we work a lot with uh, an LGBTQIA2S plus coalition that's coming together to mm. around our housing needs, housing security, mm -hmm. food, especially housing. And that specific thing mm -hmm. is, is top of mind because mm -hmm because we're run, folks are experiencing that, you know, housing is great and they've got their apartment and they've got their, they're inside somewhere. Mm -hmm. They're not connected to anybody anymore. They don't have the reason they have a space to go into, but they have nothing to take in there with them. They have no, they have no, that, that a friend of ours um, calls it the ecosystem mm -hmm. that is, is so necessary for succeeding in housing, you know, because getting that apartment, getting that that frame of some kind to be inside with is is not the end of the answer. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that one that resonates a lot. And I didn't mean to interrupt, but that's just it's it's the same exact story yeah. that we're hearing over here. Yeah. See, that's super. That's that's interesting, and I'm actually kind of happy to know that it's it's a conversation that's being had outside of this because I've been curious about it, right? And and I've had conversations with other people who work in mutual aid and work in homelessness, and they're hearing it in other venues as well, you know, mm -hmm. because the number of folks who are receiving vouchers, but also being evicted. Right. Right. Like that, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for somebody to have a housing voucher and then have an eviction on the record. Mm -hmm. uh, because mm -hmm. then that puts them exactly where they are, if not worse. Right. And so am I wondering around that is where's the support once they are actually in unit and and is there funding for that? And if there is, then, then is there a way to allocate it in order for folks to receive the support in which they need in order to keep it? Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's the big question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's a lot of what I'm hearing, going back to your question around what some folks are needing, right? Like some of our young people are finding themselves out, out back on the streets. I just had a conversation yesterday with uh, with a young person who had housing and because of some unfortunate issues that happened that were completely out of their control, they found they're now finding themselves outside of housing, but with a voucher, mm. um, right? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so it's just tricky. It's tricky. Yeah. So, so, so that's something that, that's an interesting conversation to have. Um, of course, like we can't have that conversation without talking about like resources that are needed around education, um, and additional support with like mental health mm -hmm, mm -hmm. resources, right? With addiction resources. Um, fortunately for us as an organization, we're partnering with folks like the Alana Club. We have had folks like Fourth Dimension reach out to us who want to yeah. be 
intentional about the work they do with younger people. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's amazing. And I think that it's needed, right? Um, part of what I'm seeing happening through folks like the Alana Club is in the revamp of, of, of trying to, to establish programs that are more youth-centered. It allows for opportunities for folks in different generations to have access to those services in a way that works for them, right? That's like meeting people exactly where they are, as like stereotypical as that, that that now sounds, it is what's needed is people need yeah. to be at exactly with what they need, right? Mm -hmm. um, which is a form of talking about equity, right? And in order to do that, you have to talk about it from a cultural perspective. You have to talk about it from a racial perspective. You have to talk about it from a gender and sexual orientation perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Right. And that's that's another thing that I'm hearing from some of these from some of the folks in which we work with. It's like there's programs that might be established, but may not be in alignment with their values, right? Or or right. they may not understand it because it doesn't make sense to them from a cultural perspective. Um, and so, you know, that's part of it another conversation is then what does it mean to look at programming and what does it mean to look at services? Yes, from a relational point of view, but also from a point of view that's going to work with people and what they need. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. it, it just looks different. It's interesting. Sometimes I think about the work in which we operate, pair operates. Some of this is a little bit personal to me as well, because I'm I'm not a white person. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't grow up in white culture. Um, I'm very Latino. Um, within that, also Taino, which is indigenous to the Caribbean. I'm also a queer person who moved here from the Midwest, and I moved to Portland for very particular reasons, right? To get out of the Midwest <laughs> in, in some ways. But part of it is because I needed to be seen. And that's not really that different from the people in which we work with, um, is they're looking to be seen to some capacity. And in order to see them, we need to also see who they are from that lens. Yeah. And then cater around that, which means that oftentimes, like, when I think about the work that we do, we talk about how we're not top down, right? How we're, we're pretty mm -hmm. circular in our work, um, as much as we can be, um, how we learn and grow from each other, how we like to really structure things based off of the youth that we're seeing, um, and then bring in folks from various communities that also offer that similar representation, that communicate in similar ways, that maybe have some of the same experiences that they do, um, in order to have conversations in a different way. Yeah. Um, you know, because then that offers an opportunity for us to really learn as to what needs are and how, how we need to operate, right? Like, I had a fascinating conversation, I think it was like two weeks ago with one of the, the folks, and we were talking about how community living for them looks really different, right? And so like them seeing themselves living in, in a one bedroom home by themselves, even with a pet doesn't necessarily make the most sense to them because they're used to also being in community where they're not also getting their own resources, right? They have people around them that are, that are living in community as families, street families or not, that that coexist together in that way, right? It's a shared yeah. wealth. Oh, yeah. For me, that makes a ton of sense, right? Because that's similar to Latino culture. That's similar to like the Puerto Rican matriarchal society in which I was raised in, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like 
my tias were over all the time. My grandma was hanging out with us and cooking and things all the time. I was surrounded by cousins whenever we could be when we weren't in the States. Right. And so like that aspect makes a lot of sense, right? And oftentimes I think like, man, how amazing is it that we bring those kinds of aspects into the work that we do? Because if we're talking about working with people and we're talking about working with them from a relational standpoint, then we have to also talk about it from a familial standpoint and bring ourselves into the mix that way, right? That's been my experience entering the queer community as well, right? We were looking for families. We talk about yeah. chosen families all the time. There's a mm -hmm. reason. So why not also work that into working with youth? <laughs> yeah, totally. That makes total sense. That's, um, we were heavily involved in um, the C3PO Village Project mm -hmm. through, mm -hmm. um, primarily through a fiscal sponsor. We fiscally sponsor a couple of organizations mm -hmm. and that whole concept around you know this is this is why the, this is why it's a village right mm -hmm. and it's, it's not a camp it's not a shelter it's it's a village that the people living there have creating together mm -hmm. um and you know we've seen that get really disrupted by sort of the existing status quo system that we have in this town mm -hmm. um which has brought us, this is, that's actually really a big part of what's brought us to this coalition conversation around what's our own housing model, support model, ecosystem model look like because of these, the cultural differences and the, all of the things that you just said way better than I do. It's just, it's interesting how, how this is a very, very similar conversation. Yeah. Know, that, hmm. that people are having that, I think my, the next to do on my list is to uh, is to is to send you an invite to our to a meeting to like y'all should talk to Tani. Yeah, I'd love to go. Yeah. Send yeah. me an invite. I'd love to go. Okay. Yeah, I love I love being in community and I love expanding and building networks. Mm -hmm. Right on, right on. Well, that's speaking of pivot a little bit. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we're partnering with Pair for Pride Days of Service this month. Yeah. Um, specifically, I understand for some organizing, some meal service needs. Yeah. Um, for folks who want to give some time on their own, uh, what volunteer opportunities do you have in general? How do people connect? Yeah. We gosh, there's a lot of different ways to connect. We let's see. I'll talk about it from the the point of being on the ground and then expand from there. Sure. Um, and so for folks who have time and, and want to be physically in the space, we, uh, well, hold on, let me back up for a second. So we hold volunteer orientations on the third Wednesday of every month. And so the next one coming up is October 19th. That's what next Wednesday. Mm -hmm. um, and they're always here at PEAR, uh, 338 Northwest 6th Avenue, on, right on the corner of Northwest 6th and Flanders. Um, and they're from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. And so that's one thing. And, and anyone who wants to volunteer on an ongoing basis, we highly encourage to come to one of our orientations to learn a little bit more about who we are, what we do, how we do it, um, and what we're needing. Um, and they'll meet me. I'm, I run all of the volunteer orientations. And so uh, I'll be there. <laughs> and um, so, the, so, and then through that, folks are able to come uh, on a weekly basis or bi-weekly basis, um, if they're able to, to help us with um, getting meals prepped, opening the space, 
getting any workshops and uh, equipment and supplies and stuff out and ready in our drop-in space, um, helping organize and clean. Um, they can help with any of the workshops that we have running throughout the day. And, uh, and then they help close the space and it's a lot of hanging out. It's a lot of learning with each other. It's playing board games. It's reading with, uh, folks. It's working on art projects with folks. There's a lot of informal mentoring that happens in that capacity too, from people who want to mm -hmm. volunteer with the folks who come into the space. Um, we've had volunteers in that capacity that have helped with our pregnant and parenting program. We have quite a few young people who are parents themselves. And yeah. one of the programs that we offer is that, which is an avenue for young parents to build community with each other in the space. Um, and part of their community also means volunteers who are also actively parent parenting, who are, might be a good resource right. Uh, right. to them. And so, so that's one avenue. That's one aspect. Volunteers can also help by um, helping with any of our events that we have throughout the year. And so one example of that is our, our big annual gala, which um, usually happens in April. We're constantly looking for volunteers to support there, whether it's helping get the, the space together. This year, we're going to be at the Red, I believe. Um, so helping get that space ready, helping with ticket sales, helping sign people in, helping with mm -hmm. cleanup. Um, and then we have a couple of other events throughout the year in which we're looking for similar support in that way. Another way folks can engage is through our meal train. And so folks are unable to come in. We have a meal train that's set up online where people can sign up on a day to make a meal or make sweet treats, snacks, um, or buy like cases of water and granola right. bar things and then bring them in to the space. Uh, that's another great way. We work with small groups of volunteers. That's what we're doing with, with y'all, with Pride Northwest, right. is mm -hmm. um, with small groups who are able to come in, you know, once or twice or a couple, a few times if, if it allows as a group to help like cook a meal in the kitchen or help clean the space or get it ready for an occasion. So like one of the things that we're trying to prepare is our art gallery space so that we can start reopening for first Thursdays again. Yeah. Um, and so that's like a good task for a small group to come and help us with. It's just like cleaning and organizing and prepping the space for things like that. We have some groups that do supply drives for us, um, whether it's like a coat drive or a clothing drive. Um, I'm more than happy to talk to folks about that and kind of figure something out that works for them. And, and then donate other items as well. We have a needs list online that has a breakdown of all of our programs and then supplies that are needed for each of those programs. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, oh, and the other thing, which might be fun, and a lot of folks tend to enjoy this, is on Christmas Day, I know it's early, it's still October, but on Christmas Day, we're actually open. Um, okay. And we have a big community potluck for the youth, for us, for volunteers, for donors, for staff. Our board comes and all of our families and friends and such. And so we often look for support for that, whether it's folks wanting to run like a coat drive um, or a tent drive. We go through a lot of tents, tarps, and sleeping bags. And so the more the merrier, or just want to come and help decorate the space or sign up for to bring a dish for the potluck. Even if they're not able to come and be part of the potluck on Christmas day, they can always drop off a, a meal or a food item so that we can have more to celebrate. Very cool. Uh, yeah. And then in addition to that, folks can also sign up to be um, 
like ongoing donors on a monthly basis and that can be done yeah. online as well. Um, the other thing that I'll also add is once our, our art gallery space is up and running, which should be pretty soon, um, another way folks can engage with us is by just coming to the space. Come check out some really cool work. Um, we have a, a lot of really talented artists in our community and I'm really excited to show Portland what they have to offer. Yeah. Um, so that's another great way to come and get involved is come check out cool work. <laughs> Very nice. Agree. Totally agree. Yeah. Um, what is Pear's website? Yeah, it's pearmentor.org. So www.pearmentor.org. Okay, right on. Tony, I really appreciate your time today and sharing about Pear uh, and everything that you're doing, which is, this is one of the reasons we wanted to have this conversation because Pear is just an amazing space. Mm -hmm. um, we're super excited to be joining you this month. And uh, speaking of that, before I forget, uh, if your listeners interested in joining Pride Northwest at Pear, we have a couple of opportunities. You can get more details and sign up on our website, um, www.pridenw.org forward slash volunteer dash one, number one. Uh, Tony, thank you again for joining us for the work that all of you do. Um, Listeners, thank you for joining us for this episode of Pridescape, and we will see you back here for the next episode. Cool. Thank you so much. I'd like to thank our sponsor, Fred Meyer. Portland's own Fred Meyer assists hundreds of local nonprofit organizations each year, schools, churches, 501c3s, to make their communities that we share better places to live and to work. Thank you for listening to Pridescape, the official podcast of Pride Northwest with executive director, podcast producer, and host, Deborah Porta. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information on what you heard here today and to support the work of Pride Northwest, go to pridenw.org.